Welcome to the Changing Construction Podcast brought to you by Mail Manager, the Outlook add-in created to help companies solve their email management headache overnight. Delighted to be joined today for, by Nigel Burton for today's episode where we're going to be delving into the topic of acoustic consultancy. Um, Nigel, please kind of introduce yourself in, um, in terms of who you are and what you do. Hi Jacob, I'm Nigel Burton. I'm an acoustic consultant, which I've been doing, I worked out the other day, it's coming up to probably near, near enough 25 years now. So although I've got a background in environmental acoustics, my focus tends to be more on building acoustics. So acoustics within schools, residential, hotels, hospitals, all sorts of things like that. Great. I, I know you've got a kind of, well, not, not a dual role, but you, you're, you're involved with Temple Group as, as well as a kind of a role in, the, in a wider industry context as well. Yes. So I work for Temple, which is a, an environmental consultancy. So we look at all sorts of things like infrastructure. We were involved in projects like HS2. Our original, our founder was involved in HS1, sort of channel tunnel rail link. We do the, the sort of group that I'm in is noise and vibration, but we've got a sister group of air quality and environmental management and consent. We do ecology work. We do a boriculture, if I can say that, trees and stuff. We also, yeah, we've got the infrastructure side of the business as well. So kind of pretty varied SME. So I think we're around about 130 staff at the moment, offices across the country um, based out of our London office. And then my sort of secondary role, which is which is shortly coming to an end, is I've been on the board of the Association of Noise Consultants for the last four and a half, five years. So helping out. So the Association of Noise Consultants is, if I can explain it, as I'm, a, I'm an individual member of the Institute of Acoustics. So that's how we, to some extent, it's not quite registration, but it's that kind of thing. Um, so I'm a corporate member of the Institute of Acoustics, whereas the Association of Noise Consultants is more a a trade body for the member companies so temple is a member of the association of noise consultants and i think we've got somewhere i, I ought to look this up i think it's somewhere between 110 120 member companies now within the anc uh yeah it's going from strength to strength really and it's useful uh, I, I get an awful lot of my cpd through just listening to other other colleagues at the anc and we have meetings uh, six times a year, a conference once a year, and then interspersed other additional meetings as well. Great. Well, I mean, we've, we've done lots of episodes of, on you know, different matters, but this is definitely a new topic. I mean, I've worked you know, with environmental consultants before, but although I did actually, I was probably guilty, maybe kind of ignorant on my behalf, did used to get a little bit confused between kind of um, sustainability consultants, I guess, and what? you guys do which is probably a lot more uh, specialist and niche into certain certain areas um I'm, I, I'm not sure if i'm the only person who's ever got that got that um, confusion before we get involved in bits and pieces of sustainability but it's not it's yeah i mean our main focus is really controlling noise and vibration preferably before you've done a project but sometimes it might be noise mitigation or vibration mitigation if, if it presents itself later on Sure. Okay, great. Well, we're going to go through some of the considerations which, you know, people and companies should think about in terms of like when, when they're looking to engage with a consultant like yourself, as well as kind of the best way of doing that. And I'm, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you can share some sort of some, some pitfalls and um, told you so moments over the years. But I guess first thing is that kind of role of, of an acoustics consultant. I guess when and who would you typically be sort of primarily engaging with? Would it be a kind of principal contractor, principal consultant? Uh, would it be right at the start of a project or before planning? I'd be interested to kind of just learn a bit more about that. It kind of varies project to project. I mean, taking sometimes we'll get involved 
a bit later on. I, th- I think there's, arg- there's an argument we should be involved from day one. I think we, we probably don't provide a huge amount of value if it's very, very early on, you know, Reba stage one, but certainly Reba stage two, in terms of us being involved before planning, quite often a lot of our inputs are, I think of building acoustics as external noise ingress. So that's noise from outside breaking in through windows and the ventilation systems and the building envelope into the building, um, internal sound insulation. So between rooms, either within a demise, within an office, or say between flats in, a, in an apartment block, reverberation control. So absorption within spaces, we, we look at that as well. A bit of building services noise. So if you've got a lot of plant on a development, we might look at the standards for how you control noise to neighbours and also noise into the building itself so if we were to get involved after planning there'd probably be a lot of things that we'd then need to change in order to meet good good practice and standards and sometimes you know planning conditions might have been put in so it's easier if we can be involved pre-planning really so we can we can provide input i mean my argument is always if i'm involved early enough i hopefully shouldn't add too much cost to a project whereas if we're involved later in the day we're almost trying to undo mistakes that might have been made previously i see that's interesting so perhaps not not uh not necessarily at a kind of speculative stage but definitely before pre-planning is where is where you think there's a, yeah. a kind of big value in in getting consultants involved so out of interest i mean you've obviously been doing this for a long time but it, I'd be interested in kind of how your role has changed in the context of climate change and, you know, I guess more, more in more recent years for push towards kind of net, net zero because, you know, what, what you do, you know, as you say, naturally has a, has a sort of impact and is relevant to that. I mean, certainly the project I'm, I'm working on at the moment where it's an office, office-based build but a bit of CAE fit out and the architects were, were not keen on putting in acoustic treatment so acoustically absorbent treatment if they've not got ceilings in which normally work well for acoustics they're keen not to put it in just for the sake of it because a tenant might come in and tear it out which makes perfect sense so we're looking at developing a scheme so there's an option there if they want to bring it in or if they you know if they want to install it they can there is an option for them to do it but it saves i think for us is trying to to make sure we're not doing things that then just get thrown out afterwards or or you know put in a skip it's also looking at things like different products that we that kind of will end up getting specified through our work. So there was one anecdotally I, I saw a few years ago, which I think was claiming that it was made from recycled plastic bottles. So it was acoustic absorption made from recycled plastic bottles. From memory, I think they were manufactured in New Zealand. So just looking at the whole life cycle of, well, yeah, it's great that they're recycled, but how are you going to get them here? And similarly, you know, there's a, a big drive at the moment for reuse of buildings. So whilst a brand new building would be better in terms of carbon operationally, if you compare that to refurbishment of an, an existing building, although the operational carbon might be higher, there's significantly less carbon used to refurbish building than to build from scratch. So we get we get involved on the kind of sidelines of it. Similarly, we're doing there's a new approved document O, which was came into force on the fifteenth of June this year, which is uh, related to overheating. So that brings in a requirement for acoustics for uh, noise levels overnight, which then we have to then compare that with the requirements for the overheating mitigation. 
it's causing a few minor headaches at the moment because it's we're kind of running through the first ones of those but there'll be challenges of well if you open the windows to get actual natural overheating mitigation that's fine but if it's noisy outside then people might have trouble sleeping at night yeah there's a lot of interrelation between all of all of the disciplines these days yeah that's good. Do you find, you know, generally when working with, you know, with say other disciplines, you know, M&E engineers, structural engineers, architect, you know, contractors, but there's a, because what you do is very niche, you know, sometimes there can be a danger that, you know, almost, um, what do they say, a uh, little bit of knowledge can be, can be harmful, but do, do you find that, you know, now there's, there's a really good, strong kind of appreciation of the role of an acoustics consultant? Definitely. And I think it's improved over the years. I mean, you, you're talking about the, the little bit of knowledge being a dangerous thing. There was a, a friend of mine, Martin, who, who I met through a project years ago, was an architect. And he said to me a few times, I still remember you coming in the first time I ever met you. You came in, you gave me a, a like half hour presentation on acoustics in schools because we were working on a schools project together. And I said, but that wasn't for your benefit, Martin. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, it was really just to, to point you in the direction of these are these are the kind of golden rules for me. You know, things like if you can make the doors this performance, if you can make the walls between classrooms generally this performance. It made my life easier than then than him running away doing something, which then I'd then have to come in afterwards and say, well, this isn't going to work acoustically. That's not going to work acoustically. Although I've said what I've said earlier, we can be involved too early. It's probably better if we're involved too early than too late, because if mm. it's like trying to un, untie a knot, if something's gone in a route which then doesn't work acoustically for us, it just provides rework for other people. So yeah, trying to get us involved. So we can say, well, these are our lines in the sand. This is where we need to look, can really help. And I think some of it is more um, the requirements that have come in. So things like acoustics in schools used to be a recommendation and a nice to have. But when it was brought into the building regs in, I think it was 2003, 2004, suddenly it stopped being something that could be ignored. And, oh, it's only acoustics. We don't need to worry about that and became a key part of the design. As I say, it's rare these days. I think previously some architects would see acoustics as completely separate to their vision, if you like. Mm. Whereas now I think people, especially with things like offices, are realising that you need good acoustics for people to want to spend time there. Because if it, if it looks great in the photo, that's, that's great. But if people come in and they can't hear themselves speak or meeting rooms are reverberant or you can overhear somebody from the next bay along or the next meeting room people will start to just work from home or work in a different way so i, th- I think the encouragement of trying to is a, a big focus on things like well-being now mm. so i think that that will drive acoustics as well that's interesting i mean even just on a on a sort of well, i guess a practical personal level my, my son's actually he's got an auditory processing um condition and oh, okay. um, the acoustics in the classrooms made it like it makes a can make a massive difference in both like a positive and a negative way but now things like that as you say are sort of being recognized as additional needs and schools kind of legally have to you know make sort of appropriate adjustments which aren't always massive actually you know I think there is a degree of common sense that can be applied but I think it does yeah you're, you're right in terms of um, stuff like legislation in schools you know can, that's a pertinent example to myself um, so one of the things I was interested to talk to you about and it was really around you know something I'd seen you know I guess the initial reason for sort of reaching out was I'd seen I'd seen you post something around I guess the sort of actions that some companies and clients take 
in the name of kind of green, which aren't really green. And you, you touched on, on them earlier, but I'd be interested, I guess, you know, if, if, to sort of um, go a bit deeper into that. And I guess any any kind of examples or, or sort of interesting conversations you've had on that note? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that goes back to my earlier point around, yeah, that refurbishment of buildings can be better in the full life cycle than knocking down and building a new building and saying it's great and it's this energy efficient because I can't remember what the stat is I've got in my head it's something like 30% of greenhouse gases or carbon I'm not an expert um, (laughs) are from the construction industry so just trying to minimize that and doing doing good things once I mean when I think back to my primary school which is still there was there long before I was there and is brick built building whereas when I was working on some of the um, building schools for the future projects and some of the PFI work in the sort of uh, early 2000s the buildings were designed to were designed to be replaced after 25 years which doesn't sound great I suspect they probably haven't been replaced after 25 years but perhaps it was just part of the part of the funding exercise but I think looking at the longevity of things rather than it looks great today and tomorrow it it needs replacing you know better to buy and i I think about this personally you know i I try and buy buy well buy once rather than Mm. going to not naming any names but primark to buy you know a t-shirt every five minutes it's not good it it might be just as cheap as buying an expensive t-shirt but it's actually far less sustainable i would argue yeah Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess yeah, it's it's those things which sort of um look good, sound good, but you know, but but the substance behind them is you know it's, it's more of a a green action without genuine substance. I mean, what other sort of when obviously you talk to lots of um clients, uh, in particular, I guess um in terms of the sort of um what they need to consider or what they should consider, you know, when they're looking to either you know redevelop something. So what 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 other sort of key things do you try and encourage people to think about? I mean, going back to that thing about when to get us involved with, there's a document that was published by the, the Association of Noise Consultants, the Institute of Acoustics and the Chartered Institute of Environmental Health called PROPG. And one of the, it's about, it's about residential development. And one of the key drivers in that is about good acoustic design. So it's rather than, we, we can fix stuff. So if you decide to put building right next to a motorway and put a really sensitive space right next to the motorway we can fix it but it becomes expensive you know you need super duper glazing and mechanical ventilation and those sorts of things whereas if we're involved earlier at looking at things like the orientation of the building the layouts of the building we might be able to help just point people it, it seems like sometimes seems like common sense to me but then it's probably because it's what it's what's in my head. So I, yeah, I think everybody else understands it. Yeah, <laughs> but things like years ago, I did a. Uh, I think it was I think it was Middlesbrough College where we we were involved very early on, and we just looked at where they were space planning and just sort of said, well, if if your recording studios are really noise sensitive, we don't really want those right next to you know a plant room or a or a I think they had industrial workshops and things like that. So it was just about, could we move this there? Could we do this? A kind of cheapish way of doing it in schools is if you've got rehearsal studios back to back, you need really high sound insulation performance between the rooms, which is expensive. If you can put a music store between the two, you've just added a buffer. So you've just added sort of like a, a couple of meters wide wall 
if you if you're not if you're only using the store intermittently and it's just things like that that a bit of sensible thinking of layouts and orientation can can certainly uh reduce the cost of building and the, the uh and the sort of resources used to do it okay that's interesting I, I mean one of the things i'm i guess i'm thinking is that you know when it comes to to some degree any kind of specialist consultant i'm thinking it might be particularly pertinent for an environmental one is clients potentially having a decision to make in terms of whether to go with uh, you know perhaps a large consultancy which is provides a bit of an all-in-one service where where acoustics is alongside other broader ones or whether to go with a specialist and i think it sounds like from what you were saying earlier there's perhaps a role you know as an, an increase in the kind of appreciation of a role of a specialist but what would be sort of your take on that i guess you'd have I've worked in both really. So I've worked in a in a smallish architectural practice, a couple of big multinationals, and at Temple where I am now. And to be honest, they've all got specialists. So things like uh, I used to work for for Acom, which is a big a big multinational. I work with them in in the UK and in Australia, and they have specialists in the same way that I do acoustics some of my old colleagues are still there and they're they're all members of the uh, Institute of Acoustics and they're members of the Association of Noise Consultants it can vary between between project to project it's to some extent clients clients choices to whether they they design their team via sometimes it might be the architect or it might be the project manager who develops a team other times it might be that they just go to a multidiscipline and say we want all of these can you give us scopes and prices for doing the work? Okay. And but what's the sort of stuff which I guess people commonly like overlook when they're sort of making decisions around, I guess, not, not, not just acoustics, but, you know, noise, vibration, but, you know, the whole piece? Some of it is, say, education or experience. If you've got some of the regulations helps because it points people in the direction of, oh, we actually need to think about this or this is something we need to do. If it... Some of my best experiences with architects have been where the architect has been burnt in the past. So they've they've come a cropper with some acoustic issue. So they're live to it to make sure that it doesn't happen on future projects. What's the sort of, when you say burnt in the past, what would that kind of um, look like for someone who's, who's an novice like me? I'm trying to think of an example, but if, if you'd met all of the regulations um, and there wasn't an issue in terms of statutory, you know, meeting all the requirements you needed to a resident in a new flat is complaining and you go and have a listen and go yeah i can see what they're complaining about then you haven't really we haven't provided our job properly so it might be things like that yeah i mean there's a few acoustic strange acoustic issues that are rearing their heads at the moment things like air source heat pumps which are becoming being pushed from a sustainability angle but obviously it's like putting a a relatively, I think the BBC quoted, it's like having, they're no noisier than a fridge. They're quite a bit noisier than fridges. Um, <laughs> and they tend, to, they tend to go outside in your back garden if you're looking at houses. And I know somebody anecdotally who she, I think, started when she fell off a bike in an accident. She's, I can't remember the term for it. I should look it up. It's, but she's like super acute to particular noises. She moved from... A very very quiet area to a different quiet area and was saying that she can hear the air source heat pumps she can also hear and her husband who doesn't suffer from this can also hear some of them electric car charging ports which wasn't right. something that i thought of 
but apparently uh, they've got like a I've not experienced it myself but the way they described it was that there might be a bit of a buzz on them so things like that as as things develop we'll have to sort of catch up I mean one of the things at the moment that's being looked at is suggestion of using drones for deliveries and things and how that might it's a completely new noise source so how do you compare it how will people will people be annoyed in the same way that they might be by transportation noise or in a completely different way so mm. it's something that's been been researched yeah i never thought of that no. certainly drones for the deliveries and i guess in terms of you know we talked about some of the things which people you know can overlook and you know some examples perhaps of um, areas which where industry can do better but in terms of, I guess, the business case, getting stuff like this right, do you think it's around, you know, operational building efficiency, um, making the planning process more efficient, um, making the project process actually, you know, more likely to be delivered on time and on budget, that, that sort of thing? Like what, yeah, but what would be your take on, I guess, the sort of business case of getting um, your environmental consultancy services uh, right? I think everybody being on the same page as to what you're trying to achieve from the start is always useful. So trying not to, I wouldn't quite use the word vision, but if everybody's aware of these, these are the things we need to hit. These are possibly things we would like to hit if we can. I'd say that everybody's on the same page and that you're not all pulling in different directions of what you need to achieve. As I say, the, the overheating, the approved document, O overheating building regulation at the moment is proving one of those issues. In the past, if you looked at acoustic reports, we'd say, shut all the windows, it's fine. If you looked at all the mechanical services um, overheating reports, they'd say if you open all the windows, it's fine. So at least it's being addressed and not sort of ignored. Because the Association of Noise Consultants had done a lot of work on it a few years ago to produce a thing called the Acoustics Ventilation and Overheating Guide, which is called the AVO Guide. And that's got guidance on ventilation and, and what you should do for overheating and giving sort of noise limits. And there's some... Even with the amount of, I don't know if we're an unusual industry, but some of our stuff is statutory. Some of it is sort of voluntary, things like BRIAM and things like that. You might sign up to to get credits. Some of it is there as guidance and recommendations. So it's it's a fine line acoustically to sort of walk between what needs to be done and what's good practice. I mean, it's good seeing some of the clients I'm working with at the moment are have their own brand standards for things like hotels and residential, which go uh, far beyond what they would need to achieve from just a, a regulatory perspective. So it's good that they see there's value in not just doing what you have to, but going above and beyond. I see. And I guess just on that same point, if the sort of biggest benefit, I guess, is a, it sounds like what you're saying is a bit of a sense of harmony and coordination across the, the team, your, your, I guess, the external supply chain. In terms of who you're actually, who you spend most of your time coordinating, communicating with between sort of client, architect, consultant, contractor, is it is it sort of fairly sort of equal mix across the board? I don't think I answered your original question when you asked me earlier about who, who appoints us. I mean, it, it can depend on the project. So if we're involved, we might be involved with the end client or the the owner so if if we were doing a residential block uh, we're doing some at the moment and we're working for the for the developer on other schemes we might work for a contractor so we might be brought in as part of the contractor's team mm -hmm. after they've got it as a design and build in terms of who we spend sort of time with a lot of the work that i'm involved in is interrelated to architecture so it's trying to make sure that things like 
partition thicknesses are going to be adequate for us. I mean, one of the going back to the schools I was mentioning earlier, one of the things I developed on on that particular scheme was just a, a kind of very simple. These are example thicknesses of walls, so that people didn't architects didn't run away with the idea that oh well I've allowed. 50 mil for a wall between this classroom and this classroom when really it needs to be 150 mil, 200 mil. So yeah, a bit of kind of input to to steer the architects in the right direction for acoustics, I think is always helpful. It sounds, uh, I often speak to engineers who have kind of, you know, some war stories around um, like having things proposed by architects, which are, you know, I guess, very challenging from an engineering point of view. Do you ever have a sort of same sort of thing where something's being proposed, which is just a kind of bit of a non-starter from an acoustics point of view? What do you think that sort of that appreciation, which has got better over the years, you know, sort of prevents that, that happening? Occasionally privately say to myself, I can't change the laws of physics for myself or anybody else. Um, <laughs> they I'm I'm very fortunate to be honest. Most of the architects I work with are pretty pragmatic, and as I say, it's not. Twenty years ago, God, I'm that old. I think acoustics used to be seen as a bolt-on. It was a kind mm. of oh, do we have to do that? I remember one particular project where the visuals of an atrium had all been decided before I got involved, and then I said, "Well, we need to put some acoustic treatment in there." Oh, we can't, and it was trying to get across to the architectural team that if we don't it will look great but it won't get used or it will be difficult to use because of the kind of functions it was it was a really beautiful space so it was going to end up getting used for more and more stuff with more and more people but if you didn't put some acoustic treatment in there it would be like holding dinner parties in some pools or something like that mm. so it has got a lot better and I think people don't see it so much now as a bolt-on but see it as it's part of well-being and I don't know I was thinking about this the other day I don't know whether previously you would see just photos and images of spaces but now with you know the advent of everybody walking around with a video camera in their pocket you can hear them as well I think that will perhaps put more and more focus on it's not just about what it looks like it's about what it feels like and sounds like Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I think that's, um, there's definitely structural engineers who will be able to relate to that. And it, I guess, as you say, the sort of uh, increase in pragmatism must make life a little bit, e- uh, a little bit easier, at least. In terms of, you mentioned things like BRIAM and better regulation around this area, just in terms of sort of like a documentation, like contractual documentation point of view, is there more, em- you know, more emphasis on making sure that you know, almost what you've agreed with with different parties is is kind of is recorded and ordered to you know, and there's a kind of audit trail around around the sort of decisions relating to you know the acoustics. Uh, we get involved in things like collaboration sites and things like that. So you'll all upload all upload documents to various collaboration sites. So if you need the latest set of drawings, at least you know you're operating from the latest set and not mm. ones that are out of date three weeks ago or three months ago. Um, it's, a, it's always a bugbear of mine because un, unlike some of the sort of more core disciplines who are working on a small number of projects, mm-hmm. I can end up working on so many of these and not not remembering the logins or remembering yeah. how to <laughs> how to upload to this one or what the don't even get me started on file name um, disciplines and things like that. the amount of things I've had bounced in the past of no really? you gave it the wrong type of file name. Well, could you tell me what I should have put? So there's challenges with that. But yeah, I think we've gone away generally from people just putting stuff in 
drop boxes and things. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I remember um, with quite a large contract, about kind of about a thousand people uh, contracts, and they had a system, you know, a kind of common data environment system. And they said the biggest cost in terms of maintaining it was external parties forgetting their username and login details. And I thought, given how expensive that sort of stuff is, it must be a real common problem. So things like, um, uh, you would have thought there was a solution out there to make that sort of thing um, better. It's always amazed me that none of those systems kind of talk to each other either, actually. I would have thought there'd be some benefits of doing Yeah, from a user perspective, they're all slightly different. Yeah. They're not... I've never found many of them particularly intuitive. And when you think of some of those sort of more consumer-based systems, I'm surprised that they're not a bit more intuitive now. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. I mean, we integrate with Procore and Viewpoint, and even just between those two systems, you have a very, very, very different, certainly. So, yeah, that's, um, I think that's a fair point. And as you say, sort of stuff like kind of um, Box and that kind of thing is um, developed with a, I don't know if it's a different user or a different purpose in mind, or perhaps just a different sort of, you know, it's been developed a few years later. Anyway, it was really interesting to talk through some of this. I guess one of the things we like to kind of end episodes on really is, is, and I kind of had two questions really because of your sort of role in industry as well as as well as your, your actual sort of core day job. Just some advice, I guess, for people starting out in the sector. We do, you know, we do have listeners who are who are new to industry as well. So if if you've got, you know, what what would be if you were kind of starting again, I guess, what what would be kind of your advice to your younger self? Don't don't do it. Don't do it. No, um, <laughs> um, I kind of fell into it. So I did, do you, I don't know if they still have UCAS forms, but I had a UCAS form and I'd only filled in a couple of the slots on my UCAS form. One of the teachers said, well, you've got another six, go and, go and fill them in, you've got half an hour. And I just found a course called Audio Technology and I used to play around with sound on backstage at school and used to do bits and pieces on hospital radio. So I thought, well, that sounds interesting. Where is it? It's this place called Salford I'd never heard of, but it was in Manchester, which I had heard of. Went there and... Although I did audio technology, did a year out working for the RAF and kind of learned that it was a form of acoustic consultancy. It just happened to be for the Ministry of Defence. So I wasn't even aware it was a, a profession until probably more than halfway through my degree. Mm. So we're trying to get off the ground this year. There's an acoustic apprenticeship scheme, which is being started. It's been other people, not me, have been working so hard for the last few years, Trailblazer Group. To try and get this off the ground and it was just about to start in uh, a couple of years ago in 2020 when certain things happened so that got pushed back but we're hoping to have our first intake of acoustic apprentices this year so that's post sort of a level i think 18 year olds and upwards who can go into acoustics that route rather than having to do a degree in acoustics yeah i think the, the two things for me when i first looked at it were it's a very varied career, so I don't get to do it as much now as I used to, but used to, I used to really love the opportunity to work in an office some of the time, but also work outside some of the time. And one of the things with acoustic measurements, noise measurements, you can't do when it's raining or it's too windy and you shouldn't really do it if it's mm. um, snowing. So on days, probably not quite as warm as today, it's quite nice to stand outside and measure noise levels of road traffic or, or even if it's you know, in a really, really quiet area. So yeah, I would certainly encourage people. I don't think it's kind of a physics-y maths background, but my maths is by no means brilliant. I've managed to get this far with it. So I would encourage people to go into acoustics, yeah. 
No, that's. I think you're right. I think you know a lot of people who say I want to be an architect, for example. But yeah, I think you're right. It probably isn't one of those industries, and it, even even construction, actually, yeah, it probably isn't industry sectors which um people naturally think of. So, and I guess the other bit of advice is for for people listening who are you know literally about to engage with an acoustics consultant or, or involved in a project. What other sorts of things like what's the one actionable? kind of lesson learned or told you so moment or or something you'd recommend people just think a bit more about when making decisions in this sort of area what would that be in my current role as a board member of the ANC I would bang the drum for trying to find an association noise consultants member just because we've done the due diligence for you effectively in making sure that they they know what they're talking about mm. just kind of uh, project experience perhaps just understanding a bit about the the work they've done in the past don't think it's just our discipline not all acoustic scopes are the same and it's and it's important I think for people to sometimes take advice from the likes of me of I know what you've asked for what I actually think you need is this um, mm. so before you compare what I've told you I think you need with what you thought you need that somebody else could do cheaper or significantly more expensive try and compare eggs with eggs yeah, definitely. I guess that's part of the steps we all try and take with clients to get to that sort of trusted advisor level. Yeah. Where kind of, you know, healthy disagreement, should we say. Okay, well, um, look, uh, Nigel, thanks very, very much for coming on. Really kind of interesting. You know, it, it was a topic which, you know, I wasn't sure how, how it was going to go, but you've definitely been able to enlighten myself and I'm sure kind of fellow listeners. So, yeah, thanks very, very much for coming on. And, uh, yeah, we'll kind of look forward to keeping in touch in the future. Great. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Nigel.